Reading this morning from Mark 6, 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages and Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Good morning. One of the great truths of the kingdom of God that we teach here at Cole and that we teach around is that what we call the ministry of the saints. In other words, it's not the pastors who do the ministry ultimately, it's you, it's all of us. We're all in ministry. It's the ministry of the saints. We all are called to play a part. We all are, so to speak, on stage. We all need to be listening to the Lord, listening for our cue and responding because we're all gifted. We're all called to play a part in building the kingdom of God. We're called to spread shalom, to bring people into the kingdom and to reveal who God is in a dark world. We're all ministers, you and me included. We're all gifted to serve. We're all sent ones. We're all, in a sense, apostles sent into the kingdom. But I find that there's many believers, many of us, who feel really inadequate. Uh, Gee, I, I don't have anything to offer. You know, what could I bring? I don't have big gifts. I couldn't preach. I couldn't do this or that. And teaching Sunday school scares me, and I just don't know what my part is, and I just feel inadequate. Or maybe you've tried to step out, and, 
and maybe it didn't go well or you tried in your own strength and you just haven't learned really to depend on God's resources yet. Well, when I go backpacking, I like to backpack. I happen to bring my backpack this morning. Uh, Maybe I'll just put it on and head out after the service. I don't know. We'll see. When I go backpacking, I need to bring the right resources, right, when I go. It doesn't do any good if I go and I don't have the things I need, a tent, a sleeping bag, a stove, fuel for the stove. It doesn't work out if you don't have fuel, right? Flashlight, the other things you need, good boots, etc. You need the right resources on the journey if you're going to backpack and take on the road and the path that you're on. So what are some of our key resources? If we are going to be ministers of the gospel, if we are going to be useful in the kingdom, what are some of the resources that God has given us that we need for serving him? No matter what it is we're doing, whether we're encouraging a friend, discipling somebody, teaching Sunday school, leading a growth group, hosting a growth group, setting up chairs for a ministry, washing toys in the nursery, holding babies, whatever it is, I think there's certain resources that God wants us to bring into that service so that we're learning to depend on him rather than on ourselves. What are those things we need in our backpack? I think this wonderful story we're looking at today, which is the feeding of the 5,000, a familiar story, but It has incredible truths, I think, that are really helpful for us as we consider what it means to serve God even when we feel inadequate. Pray with me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you that our our adequacy is in you. May your word change us today. The power of your word, may it go forth that we may learn what it means to depend on you more fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just a reminder, we're jumping back into the book of Mark. If you were with us last spring, we, last year we taught through the book of Mark up into chapter 6. And then for the summer we took a break and did the Psalms of Ascent, a wonderful study of our journey into God's presence. But we're jumping back into Mark, and this year we're going to continue teaching through it. That's the point of our poster here, Gospel of Mark, teaching series, The Servant Who Rules. The first half of the book of Mark is Jesus revealing to the disciples and to us that he's a wonderful servant, but that, this, but that he's more than a servant. He is the Messiah. He is the coming king, the one who was sent by God, the destined one. So up through, halfway through Mark, Jesus is revealing that he is king, he is Messiah. But when the disciples finally really get it, then the last half of the book of Mark is teaching more that what kind of Messiah he is, that he really is a Messiah who came to serve, to give up his life, not to just take control and run everything. So the first half is the servant who rules. The second half is the ruler who serves. So we'll be continuing our study in the book of Mark starting today. We're looking at this 
miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I think this miracle is really, really significant. It's familiar to us, partly because it is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is shown in all four Gospels. I think the disciples, when they went through this event, it impressed something very powerful on them that they kept coming back to as they did ministry later on. And so I think we'll see what some of those things are that impressed them so powerfully in this wonderful miracle of feeding the 5,000. And I think these are things that we need to hear as well. I want to talk about five different resources I see that God provides for us as we serve him, as we follow him. Let me read the first few verses, starting in verse 30 of chapter 6 of Mark. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Earlier in chapter 6, to kind of bring you back to what we covered back in May, (laughs) Jesus sent out his 12 disciples. It was their first opportunity to do ministry. And he said, don't take anything with you, only a staff, and God is going to provide for you and he is going to use you. Well, then in between, there's the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. And then now they've just come back. And they're coming back to report to Jesus. And they're reporting to him, wow, Jesus, look at all this great stuff that happened. We, we got to preach the word and we got to cast out demons and we heal people. And man, this is awesome. I love this. And they're excited about the ministry. We see that both here and in the other Gospels. So they've had a taste of ministry. They're excited for God to use them. And I hope you've had that kind of excitement. I hope that you've been on a short-term missions trip. Or if you haven't, that you'll go on one. I, I hope you've stepped out and been courageous to reach out to a neighbor who's hurting and seen God use you in that. I hope you've stepped into Sunday school maybe and said, hey, I, I feel inadequate, but I'm going to jump out here and see what God does. And then you say, wow, look it. How exciting it is to be used of God. I hope you've stepped out and seen God use you in that way like the disciples here. We need to step out and let God use us in that way. But it's interesting as they come back to report to Jesus, he has a lesson to teach them about dependence on him. I think perhaps they were coming back and going, wow, this is great. Now send us out on another mission. What are we going to do next? Come on, let's just, wow, let's do dramatic things. And notice what he says. Come and rest. (laughs) Come and rest. You see, they need to discover their resources for ministry rather than just jump into ministry because too often... We need to learn a lesson, which is how to depend on him in ministry rather than depend on ourselves. Everybody in scripture had to learn this, right? Think about Peter. Peter's like, yes, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. That very night, he denied Jesus three times. He had to be broken. Think about Paul, who was converted on the road to Damascus. He gets to Damascus and thinks, 
Wow, I'm a Pharisee. I'm going to preach to the Jews. God's going to use me to transform the world. He starts preaching. There's riots. There's havoc. Everything's a mess. And they have to let him out a window in the sidewall through a basket. And he runs and hides in the wilderness for several years so God can teach him how to depend on him. It's a lesson that we all need to learn. We need to learn this lesson of come and rest. It's a key lesson for us in ministry. Just when we're excited and ready to be used, God says, come and rest. Come away with me. Let's let's learn what it means to find strength in me. I know early in ministry in my for myself, I, I saw all these things that needed to be done. And so I just put a lot of time into it. And I really didn't have time to put much effort into reading the word or praying because Hey, there's a lot to do, right? But I've come to see over the years that the most important part of my ministry is that time with him where I come and rest, where I'm listening to him and where I'm praying and asking him to work. It's his work that's important. It's, It's not mine. It's not what I do. So I need to learn to rest in his ongoing work. I think it's very significant that... The Jewish calendar is different than ours. You know, we think of morning as the beginning of the day, right? And we get up and we're active all day and then we finally are exhausted and we go to sleep. The Jewish day begins when? At night. (laughs) At sundown. When we quit working. And then we rest. And then we wake up And I think God's design is this. Lord, you've been working all night. Now I'm awake. I want to get on board with what you have already been doing. What a different way to look at our work, right? And ministry and our lives. Come and rest, Jesus says. It's the testimony of the greatest saints throughout history that what's most important is that resting in him, focusing on him, hearing from him, Finding that Sabbath place where we are resting in him. So in my backpack, I brought a pillow. As a reminder, we need to carry it with us. We need to find wherever you are. And by the way, this pillow happens to have the entire world on it. It's a reminder that no matter where you are, you can find a quiet closet, a place to come aside and rest with him and in him. So that's our first resource, his rest, entering into that. Secondly, his heart. Let me read the next couple of verses here, 33 and 34. Now many saw them get going and recognized them. Now, okay, so the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. They're going to find a place to rest. And the crowd sees and recognizes them, and they ran there on foot. They're following the boat and they're running down the shore. And they get there ahead of them. I'm not sure how they knew where they were going, <laughs> but they show up first. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I'm struck by how anxious these people are to get to Jesus. They, they want to be where he is. They want to hear from him. 
So they ran ahead. The traditional spot is a place called Tabga. Maybe you've been there on the shore of Galilee where there's a little chapel now with a mosaic with bread and fishes there. It's a beautiful little spot. And notice what Jesus felt when he looked on this crowd. Now think for a minute what the disciples saw when they saw this crowd. We find out later in the passage that they saw a problem to be solved. <laughs> Look at all these hungry people. Look, we've got to deal with them. Yeah, Jesus, you're going to do something. And they're all concerned about this crowd that's a problem to be solved. But to Jesus, they are sheep without a shepherd. They are lost and needy and hurting. It says Jesus felt compassion. The word there in the Greek is one I really like, splankna. <laughs> splankna. It literally, literally means guts. You're splankna. It, it means that the very center of his being, Jesus felt this incredible compassion for these people. They weren't a problem to be solved. They were people that were hurting. They were sheep without a shepherd. And he was concerned for them. What is a sheep without a shepherd? Maybe some of you saw the little news deal about the Australian sheep, Chris, this last week. They found Chris, who'd wandered alone without a shepherd for probably five years, they estimate. He was so overgrown with wool. If you've seen a picture of him, I mean, he, it was covering his eyes, his face, all around. Huge, 89 pounds of wool on this one little sheep. And they said he would have died within a few weeks because he could hardly eat. He could hardly move. He was a sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without shepherd get into trouble. <laughs> sheep without a shepherd end up in the brambles. They wander off cliffs. They end up in the rocky places where there's no food. They end up hurt and vulnerable, and in danger. Jesus looks on this crowd and says, Wow, I don't see lawyers, CEOs, baristas, cleaners, housewives, IT people, fill in the blank. He says, I don't see that. What I see is a lot of sheep who are lost and hurting. We tend to look on the outside and we get intimidated by the sheep around us, right? In the world around us because of what we see on the outside. But Jesus sees them as they really are. The heart of Jesus, the splankna of Jesus, looks beyond the outward and says, these are people that are wandering into brambles. These are people that are headed off in all kinds of directions because they don't know me. You see, this is a great reminder that every person you meet who doesn't know Jesus is, is a sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're made for relationship with Jesus and there is no wholeness or shepherding that can happen apart from Him. Which means that they're wandering off, off and stuffing their lives with everything but Jesus. Whether it's power or sex or money or leisure, comfort, hunting, 
I just had to throw that in because it's that time of year. (laughs) Or whatever it might be. And when you begin to take on the heart of Jesus, which is another resource of ours, Jesus' tender heart, his soft, caring, compassionate heart, when we begin to take on his heart and see people for what they really are, sheep without a shepherd, then everything changes. We realize that person who looks like they have it all together is lost and broken as you take on Jesus' heart. I know a CEO of one of the major companies in Boise. It's a very successful company. I also know he's had an affair, destroyed his marriage. His daughters won't talk to him years later. He's living a broken life. The boy looks good on the outside, making lots of money. He's a sheep without a shepherd. And if we have eyes to see, every person around us who does not know Jesus is a sheep without a shepherd. And we can begin to enter into their lives if we just will show curiosity and listen to them. I'm amazed, you know, sometimes the conversations I get into as I hear people's stories because people want to tell their stories as I go to the bank and talk to a teller, as I go to a restaurant and talk to a waitress and they share their stories. And all you have to do is say, tell me about your life or tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me about that tattoo you have. Tell me about that piercing. Tell me about... And it's amazing how you begin to see whoever it is is a sheep without a shepherd. And we need to remember and never forget verse 33. These people were running to get to Jesus. Now, I know that person may not look like they need Jesus, but deep down they long for Jesus. They're made for Jesus. And they will not be whole until they find Jesus. So taking on Jesus' heart means beginning to look at people as Jesus does. Our job ultimately is to bring them to the good shepherd. But one of our resources for doing that is taking on his heart and seeing them as they really are. And being moved in our splankna (laughs) in concern for them. I got to admit, that's not natural for me. I, I get caught up in my stuff and I don't feel a lot of splankna towards unbelievers until I begin to take on Jesus's heart. It's Jesus's heart for them, not mine. It's his. So the third resource, I think, is given right there in verse 34 again, which is his Word. Listen to verse 34. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus sees lost sheep and how does he reach out to them? Now I think our way would be, wow, I'm seeing all this, you know, we need to create an organization and find a way to bring these people together and we'll do this and we'll do that and we will... You know, we come up with our plans. We'll form a mercy ministry. We'll form a company that can detangle the brambles that they've got. We'll do a fundraiser. We'll do, you know, we come up with our plans. But interesting what Jesus does. He just teaches them. Because he knows that what heals lost sheep, what brings them back to the fold, what, what helps them find life 
is his words. His words. So that is our resource. One of our resources God's given us to take is whatever ministry we're doing, having the word in our hearts and in our minds and sharing it where we can. It's powerful. We need to recognize it. It's one of our greatest resources. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The word has power. Maybe you have someone in your life and you're going, man, they're really lost. Well, well, maybe what you could do is say, hey, would you meet with me once a week? And can we just read through one of the Gospels? So you can kind of get to know who Jesus is, who the Bible says Jesus is. Have you ever tried that? People are often responsive. They're curious. The word has power. And over time, God can use it. Ray Stedman liked to tell the story of a man came to him and was depressed, really struggling. And he said, can you help me? No one's been able to help me. And Ray said, I don't know what to do. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. I'll meet with you once a week and I'll read some scripture to you and I'll pray for you. So they started doing that. And every week Ray would ask him and say, "Um, so did that anything strike you in that passage today that I read? And every week the guy would say, no. (laughs) And Ray would pray for him. After eight months, Ray said, anything strike you in that passage today? And, And the guy said, you know, there was this one thing. And so they kept meeting, and over time, the man's heart was opened and softened through the power of the word. And he began to change and eventually became a believer, and his life was changed through the word. The word has power, brothers and sisters. We can trust it. It's one of our resources to help lost sheep find life. Our fourth resource that's given in this passage is his plan. His plan. Let me read verse 35 through 39. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So I just love this interplay here, this scenario. You know, here's the disciples. Jesus is teaching and he's teaching the crowds. He's setting free lost sheep. And the disciples are sitting there kind of, you know, going, um, you know, all these people are hungry and we're going to have a riot on our hands. And Jesus, your teaching's fine, but you know what? There's a problem here you need to solve, Jesus. And guess what? We have a plan for you. Here's how you need to solve this, Jesus. You send everybody away and they can go into the surrounding villages and buy something to eat. It's logical. It's a reasonable answer to the problem, right? But think about it for a minute. This is Jesus, the master of the universe, the creator of all things, the Messiah, and they're giving him advice. (laughs) Here's what you need to do, Jesus, to fix this problem. Thanks for your message. 
but uh, you're missing something here, Jesus. You haven't noticed. These are hungry people. So you need to do something. To me, this is a funny story until I start thinking how like them I am. How like them we are. We have a need or a problem. Maybe it's a difficult marriage situation or a child who's not doing well or a financial issue or whatever it might be. And we come up with a plan on how Jesus needs to fix this. We all do this. Jesus, here's what you need to do. My child is wandering from you, so I really think it would help if you'd bring this person into their life and they would disciple them and do this, and then this would happen. And they, you know, so Jesus, you need to fix it this way, or I have this struggle. And if you would do this to impact my wife or my husband, then, you know, things would be better and, and on and on. We have our plans on how life should go and how Jesus should fix our problems. And we pray and then Jesus doesn't follow our plan. And we get frustrated and angry and think Jesus doesn't care. We've all done this, right? And let me make a little footnote here. Back in 30, verse 31, remember how the disciples hadn't had a chance to eat yet? And now Jesus has taught all day? I think them saying, send the crowds away is, to a large extent, selfish. They're concerned about their own needs. And Jesus, get rid of them because we're hungry. <laughs> Fix this for me. Do this for me. I need you to do this in this way. Jesus. Notice Jesus's response when we come to him this way with our demand of how he needs to fix our problem. He totally ignores it. He totally ignores the disciples plan. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. (laughs) Well, wait a minute, Jesus. We don't have money. That would take eight months' wages. How could we do that? Jesus, that is a really bad plan. (laughs) Go back to plan A, because that's what we want you to do. You see, Jesus has a better plan. Jesus' plan is he wants to use them to accomplish this great miracle. He wants them to be involved. But his plan is different than theirs. How often, brothers and sisters, do we feel like Jesus is ignoring our great plan so we get frustrated and angry because Jesus apparently doesn't love us because he's not doing what we think he should. And later we find out he had a far better plan all along. He sees the whole picture. He's God. And and, and we're so finite and so blinded we... Our little plan is almost always wrong. And if we'd only been listening for his plan and looking for it and watching how he's working, looking for the hand of God in this situation, we would be amazed at how he's already working out his plan. One of our resources is his plan, his blueprint, not ours. And so we ask, we wait, we listen 
We look for how God is working in this situation. And when we do that, his plan always ends up being better. Some of you have heard the story of how I came to Cole that I was working in a church that I, it was not a good fit for me. And I was frustrated. And after two years, I was saying, God, you need to open a door somewhere else because this is not working. And I heard there was an opening at Cole. So I sent a letter to David Roper. And he wrote back. This was pre-email days, I think. It was way back. And he wrote back and said, you know, thanks for your interest, but we've already filled the position. Well, I was kind of devastated. But, you know, God had a better plan because that third year I stayed at the church I was at, God changed my heart and humbled me in all kinds of ways. The church situation didn't really change, but my heart changed. And God had a much greater plan and much better plan. And a year later, David Roper called me and said, hey, we have an opening. And at that point, I knew that I was free to leave because my heart had been changed in such a way that I could go. But that was his plan, not mine. His plan is one of our great resources, but we need to be willing to submit, to say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. I want your plan. Here's, here's how I think you could work it out, but Lord, I want to submit to whatever is best. His plan's far greater than ours. The final resource I see in this passage that he gives us is his power. Let me read back again, read verse 38 and following. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when he had found out, when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Of course, with women and children, that means at least 10,000 if not more. I'm struck by how Jesus expresses his power here, how he does this. Notice what he does first. How many loaves do you have? Go and look. Now, why did he start there? Why did he start with, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And they find out, well, five loaves and two fish and 10,000 people. Uh, There's a problem here. And We find out in John, it wasn't even their food. It was some boy who brought his lunch to share. So they didn't really have anything. Now, why did Jesus tell them, go and look, look, pay attention to your own resources? I think it's because he wanted to make very clear to them that they didn't have what it takes. That's one of the great lessons we need to learn in ministry, brothers and sisters, is that we need to know we do not have what it takes to accomplish anything in the kingdom of God. It doesn't depend on us. What we bring is so paltry and inadequate that it can't accomplish God's purposes. That's why Jesus says, go and look. Look at your resources, because only when we see how inadequate we are, 
will we turn to him and say, okay, God, it's got to be you. All you. All you. That's the new covenant, what the New Testament and the Old Testament talk about as the new covenant. It's his power through us. It's his life in us. It's his adequacy in us. Like Paul, when he describes in 2 Corinthians 12, and he talks about this thorn in the flesh, and God said, I'm not going to take it away. I want you to be weak because my power is perfected in your weakness. Or back in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians 5 and 6, where he says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate as ministers of a new covenant. What's he saying? This new covenant relationship with God is one in which we bring nothing but sin and he gives us his life and lives it through us. Nothing from me, everything from him. Wow. <laughs> what a great way to live. But the disciples need to learn that lesson, and so he teaches them this lesson. That's the lesson he's trying to teach us every day, right? Not to depend on ourselves, because we don't have what it takes, but to depend on him. And let me say, there's an untruth out there that's often said. I hear it a lot in Christian circles. And the untruth is, God will not give you more than you can handle. Brothers and sisters, that's a lie. It's a lie. Now, I understand where it comes from, I think. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God will always provide a way of escape. But it's talking about something specific. When you're tempted by sin, God will find a way of escape so you can endure it. But in general, in life, what I find, my experience is, God constantly puts me in situations that are too much for me to handle. In fact, that's what he's doing with the disciples, and that's what he does with us all the time. Why? So we will learn to depend on him and not on us. It's not true that Jesus won't give you more than you can handle. The truth is he will constantly give you more than you can handle because he wants you to learn to depend on his power, not your own. He wants you to plug into him and say, Lord, I don't have what it takes but you do. So I want to plug into you. Notice what happened then in the story. They bring their five loaves and two fishes, and what, is, what does Jesus do? He takes that, and the disciples are all around in a circle, and he says, here, here, take this and go feed. And he hands each one of them, and he keeps handing, and he keeps handing, and they, their hands suddenly get full, and they go to a group, and they spread it out, and they come back, and they've got another armful, and... From those five loaves and two fishes, Jesus does an incredible miracle. We bring our paltry little strength that we have, our inadequacy, and Jesus uses it, multiplies it when we're willing to say, Lord, use me. I'm weak, but you're strong. I want to depend on you. And when we do that, his power is evident. He works in amazing ways. Here's Jesus' words to you and me. Anything I ask you to do for my kingdom, I will provide the power and the resources to make it happen. So depend on me. And a little interesting conclusion to this. What did the disciples end up with at the end of the story? Twelve basketfuls. Now, sometimes we think, if I'm going to serve God, okay, but I'm dying to myself, I'm putting myself out. Well, 
Who's going to take care of me? <laughs> Who's going to be meet, meet my needs? What did they end up with? Far more than they could ever handle. Twelve basketfuls, each one of them with this huge load of bread and fish to meet their needs. We can trust him to meet our needs if we're willing to step out and follow. God wants to use us to accomplish his purposes in the world, in our community, in our families. And he gives us the resources. Remember when he sent out the disciples, he said, don't take anything with you. Now he's saying, there are some things you need to take. (laughs) My rest, my heart for people, my word, my plan, my power. So what's our part? To depend on him. To look for his plan. It's always better than ours anyway. And step out, trusting that though I don't have what it takes, he does. And when we come in that way, in our inadequacy, in our weakness, but we step out in trust, in faith, he does amazing things through us. Let's pray. Lord, what a great story. We can picture ourselves with the disciples just confused and coming up with their own plan and arguing with you because you're not doing it their way. Lord, we're just like that. May we learn to walk in the new covenant in a dependence on you that allows your life, your power, your plan to be lived through us. May we learn to say not our will, but yours be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.